This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, reporting it was the scold heard round the internet. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis lectured a group of high school students acting as a backdrop to a news conference that it was ridiculous they were wearing masks. And he took a shot at France. The 15-week abortion ban took up a lot of time in the Senate, still no exception for rape or incest. Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. And every nine minutes, that victim is a child. That means that since the time we started this discussion on House Bill 5, 158 people have suffered sexual assault. 13 amendments and no changes to the abortion ban. The AARP sees the handwriting on the wall for a bill cutting certified nursing associate hours at nursing homes and are already planning to target the governor. If the legislation still reduces that minimum nursing staffing time, then I I think it's certainly important for anybody that cares about nursing home residents to press the governor. Sunrise talks with Zane Smith of AARP Florida. And there were several goodbyes on the floors of the House and Senate. But first, Governor Ron DeSantis held a news conference in Tampa to announce $20 million in grants for tech education in cybersecurity. But before he even got to the lectern, the governor took aim at a group of high schoolers at the event. They were wearing masks. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. (laughs) Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this this is ridiculous. Despite his sigh of exasperation, some of those students kept their masks on. Video of the moment was a Twitter and TikTok favorite for quite a while. Maybe DeSantis was just overly tired. After all, he had to stay up late for President Joe Biden's State of the Union speech. I did fall asleep during it, I confess. But, you know, I got three kids, five and under. So a lot of times by the time it gets past nine, we're we're a little we're a little tired. But um, the striking thing is, is that we've got a lot of problems um, in this country, and that's obviously something you got to deal with. But it's striking that so many of these problems have been created by Biden and his administration since he's become president. I mean, think about gas. People are chafing at the pump because you've had 40, 50 percent increase in the price of gas. Well, why is that? Uh, because they shut down the Keystone Pipeline said no no uh, oil from Anwar, nothing in federal lands. So consequently, you're importing more from countries like Russia. So that's bad for consumers because they're paying higher, but then it's also bad for our national security because that's effectively the fuel that is giving Putin the ability to do what he's doing. So we were energy independent and we should be energy independent and we would be energy independent if it was not for those really misguided policies that have been done um, over the last over the last year. The governor mentioned Vladimir Putin there. Actually, this event was the first time DeSantis made extensive comments about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. For the record, he is no fan of Putin, but blames Putin's boldness on Biden's failed energy policies. If you look at what's going on in someone like Vladimir Putin, you know, I analogize him to basically an authoritarian gas station attendant. If you look at their country, it's a hollowed out country 
but for the energy. And yes, they have neg legacy nuclear weapons, which makes them much more, much more dangerous than if they didn't have those. And so he's in a situation where um, his ideology, I think, is try to reassemble some of the lost glory uh, of what they had. Now, the Soviet Union was not a glorious uh, entity. I mean, this was one of the most evil regimes in, in modern, uh, modern history. And the result was a lot of deaths because of Soviet communism and Chinese communism in the 20th century. But his view is that the dissolution of the Soviet Union was a bad thing. And so he's being fueled because America is not serious about energy independence right now, and Europe is not serious at all. So Europe is funding this guy, so he has the ability now uh, to go in and flex muscle. While Putin may be doing the invading of Ukraine, Governor DeSantis blames President Biden for setting that invasion up. I believe that the decision to go into Ukraine was one that was probably made last summer as he's watching what was happening in Afghanistan and the failed um, American, uh, you know, how Biden handled that. I think he sized that up. I think President Xi in China is sizing that up. I think the Ayatollah in Iran is sizing that up. And so I said you're going to have a lot of turmoil over the next three, three and a half years. And unfortunately, that's being proven correct. Um, but hitting him where it hurts is really what you need to do to be able to, um, uh, to, to, to really show that this was a, a, a big error in judgment. I think he miscalculated anyways. Um, I don't think this is going to work out for him the way that he wanted to. And, you know, when you see people that are willing to fight, I mean, it's inspiring to see these people just grab rifles who are civilians and going out there and fighting uh, to ward off uh, a Russian army. Uh, a lot of other places around the world, they just fold the minute there's any type of adversity. I mean, can you imagine if he went into France, would they do anything to put up a fight? Probably not. Um, and so those folks, um, you know, are stepping up. But it's a there's a lot of problems, I think, between now and then. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to end up very, very ugly um, over the next uh, weeks and months. France? Mon Dieu. The Florida Senate took up debate on HB7, the 15-week abortion ban, and there was a lot of debate. Democratic opponents put up 13 amendments to the measure and took their time arguing them. But to no avail, Senator Lauren Book, a sexual assault victim herself, pushed hard for at least adding an exception for rape, incest, and sexual trafficking. This particular group has already had their rights taken, already had their body autonomy violated, had no choice in becoming pregnant, and should have every single bit of choice in what happens to her body next. But should this bill pass in its current form, I am deeply, deeply concerned about what it will mean for women and girls across the state who may become pregnant as a result of rape, incest, or human trafficking. We need to give women options all of the time. But since it's clear we're not going to get there today, I am appealing to your basic human dignity in these most horrific of cases. Let's talk about who this affects. Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. And every nine minutes, that victim is a child. That means that since the time we started this, discussion on House Bill 5, 158 people have suffered sexual assault. 20 of those were children. The amendment failed to pass. 
The Senate is likely to vote on the 15-week abortion ban tomorrow. That's why pro-choice groups are planning a candlelight vigil tomorrow evening at the Capitol. And that's why those same groups came together before Wednesday's debate session to make their final pleas against the measure. Democratic Senator Annette Tadeo wanted to amend the law requiring the sign-off of two doctors to get an abortion for a serious medical problem after 15 weeks of pregnancy. I can tell you personally, I worked very, very hard to become a mom. And in that process of working so hard to become a mom, I, in one of the pregnancies, it turned out, and we didn't find out until much, much later, more later than usual, that it was an ectopic pregnancy. And I had to go get a procedure done. It's already a hard enough decision for you to find out that the baby you were so excited that you were going to have is not going to be a baby. And it's not even going to be viable because an ectopic pregnancy means that the, that the fetus is growing outside the womb. So it really, to me, that personal experience that happened to me and all that I had to go through, I cannot imagine the heartbreak and the thought that I now had to go get another doctor to sign and all of these procedures that one would have to go through in order to save your life. If signed into law, the 15-week abortion ban will take effect in July. Legislation that would reduce required hours for certified nursing assistants looks likely to make it through session and head for the governor's desk. And AARP Florida is planning ahead. The organization is already planning a lobbying effort to convince Governor Ron DeSantis for a veto. Sunrise talked with Florida AARP's Associate State Director of Advocacy, Zane Smith. So we have seen a few changes throughout the committee stops. And what we saw at the conclusion of yesterday was an alignment of both bills. So now the House bill does, in fact, match with the Senate bill. And so we're happy to see some of the changes still can't support this, but some positive changes have been made. Okay, uh, give me some details on what you consider to be positive changes to these bills. Well, I think the primary positive change is that the Senate followed the House House version and did not touch the moratorium on new admissions. So it will remain in place. So if a facility is unable to have adequate staff to care for the residents, they cannot admit any new residents until the staffing ratio and the staffing um, levels are bolstered to handle any new residents. So that's a that's a positive. Because we did see throughout the session that on the Senate side, it became a, a an optional method of a moratorium on new admissions, and that's just not okay. Um, so we did see that change, and that's really good. So the, mor- um, the, the moratorium stays in uh, in both versions of the bills. Correct, <clears throat> correct. The moratorium remains in place as is in current law. Anything and else? That's a positive. And that's a positive. Anything else? You know, I think the only other thing that we could chalk up to a positive, which wasn't necessarily AARP's position uh, as it relates to the bill, is the the trial attorneys will have the ability to get back into the courtroom a little more easily uh, through some of the language and some of the amendments that were made throughout the process. So after harm has occurred to a resident, there will be available means to to hold certain persons accountable for the harm that was done. All right. So that's a good thing. Yes. Now we're up to the but. <laughs> but <laughs> you can't support the legislation at this point because why? 
because it still reduces the daily time CNAs, the nursing staff, spend with the resident. And we're talking about the activities of daily living, the things that include rolling you over to avoid pressure and bed sores, helping you get to the bathroom, helping you clean yourself, hygiene, um, you know, the things that nobody is trained to do except for certified nursing assistants. And we're saying, well, residents, you don't need that much time with these individuals, so we're going to cut that back. And I think a lot of arguments and a lot of statements have been made throughout the committee process that try to minimize the effect that this is going to have on residents and try to throw a red herring argument to detract from what this is really doing. And that's really unfortunate because ultimately it's the residents who are going to suffer. What do you mean? What's the red herring here? Well, a, a claim from the for-profit nursing home industry is that this is modernizing nursing care and nursing homes. This is, you know, we've got sicker individuals or maybe we have more residents in our nursing homes that have issues outside of what a stereotypical nursing home resident has had in the past. So they might need a respiratory therapist. They might need mental health counseling. We don't deny that those are certainly issues, but those services are already required to be provided for the patient's need. I guarantee you a respiratory therapist is not going to take a, a resident to the bathroom, bathe them, wipe them, diaper them. That's not their job. That's a CNA's job. And so when you're reducing the time that these CNAs get to spend with them, these people are going to be living, living in, unfortunately, poor conditions, in our opinion. Um, but the red herring argument is that somehow we're creating this robust menu of healthcare options for a resident when we're already doing that in nursing homes. It's nothing new. They're just using it to justify reducing the nursing time spent with each resident per day. Those numbers when it comes to CNAs, uh, you know, it's 2.5 hours down to two. It it, it sounds minuscule. I'm sure that the general public and myself sometimes are not understanding what that means. Yeah, and it does. And, and that's, once again, one of the, the talking points of people supporting this legislation is, oh, well, it's really not that much time. Um, but I think you need to consider how much time it takes someone who is in a nursing home. And don't forget, they're not there because they want to be there. They're there because they meet certain criteria in terms of their, their feebleness, in terms of their medical needs and their daily care needs. That's why they're in this facility. And so when you take away 30 minutes a day for a resident that takes them literally 30 minutes just to get to the bathroom and use it and then forget all the other stuff that comes after you finish using the bathroom, you're really reducing the quality of care. You're reducing that time that trained individuals are spending, making sure this person is clean, they're dry, they're medicated, they're not coming down with any illnesses or bed sores, the things that unfortunately, unfortunately lead to the demise of nursing home residents. Now, the reason we're really talking here is that... It sounds like you are resigned to the fact that this legislation is going to get through the legislature this session. And you're now talking about trying to lobby the governor to veto this legislation. Am I correct? Well, yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, I think we see the writing is on the wall with this legislation. But one thing I'd like to point out is we don't know what the final piece of legislation will look like. Of course, there's plenty of time on the floor between the chambers that amendments can happen and changes can be made to the bill. So it's going to be important to see what comes out in the end. But if the legislation still reduces that minimum nursing staffing time, then I, I think it's certainly 
important for anybody that cares about nursing home residents to press the governor to veto this. Um, he's, he's the last stop before this becomes law. And we all know Governor DeSantis ran on a platform of putting seniors first. He's proven that through, you know, passing and, and fighting big pharma for prescription drug importation from Canada. He's done it during the COVID pandemic when it was at its worst with, you know, visitation issues. And if he vetoes this piece of legislation, he's once again showing not only to Florida seniors, but seniors across the country that he's going to put them first every time. Um, so, yeah. We really hope he'll take a, a hard look at this and consider a veto. It's one thing to uh, you know try to lobby a state legislature. There's a lot of moving parts there. You can get to a lot of people. How do you lobby a governor governor for a veto? Well, I, you know, I think it, it comes in many forms. It comes from people contacting his office, just like you would a legislator. Instead of contacting 120 people, now you're contacting one. Um, you know, it comes to to media, you know, news stories, submitting information to his office for careful consideration and review. Um, you know, he has a whole team of policy people that work in various areas, health policy, transportation policy. So his policy team um, will review any legislation that's sent to him before he chooses to sign or veto. So hopefully they're receiving this information and taking it all in and giving it thoughtful consideration. Well, Zane Smith, uh, the Associate State Director of Advocacy for AARP Florida, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. The Florida Senate, as we said, scheduled to hold a floor session this morning at 10. At that session, they are expected to approve a 15-week abortion ban. Abortion advocates will join in solidarity for a candlelight vigil that begins at 7 this evening. The Florida House is scheduled to hold a floor session, too, also starting at 10 this morning. The Senate Special Order Calendar Group will set a special order calendar, which will list bills to be heard on the Senate floor. Also, the Florida International University Board of Trustees will meet after a series of committee meetings. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission will finish a two-day Tampa meeting that will include reviewing rules to allow 200 Goliath grouper to be killed every year during a three-month season. The Florida Supreme Court will release weekly opinions at 11 this morning. And finally, while there's still plenty of action ahead, it's getting close to the end of this 2022 Florida legislative session, and some members of the House and Senate won't be coming back. On the House and Senate floors, there were a number of farewell speeches. In the House, Republicans Aaron Grawl and Clay Yarborough said their goodbyes. So did Democrats Matt Wilhite and Emily Schlossberg-King. And in the Senate, Republican Jeff Brandis made his farewell speech and gave us a glimpse inside the mind of a legislator. What made Brandis tear up? Well, it was the passage of a bill to make it easier for divorced fathers to see their kids. A piece of legislation that made it through the Senate, but then got hung up in committee in the House. And I had, you know, that feeling like you have put, you've done everything you can to get this thing across the finish line. And I remember I had to go meet with Representative Cruz, and uh, she was leader at the time, and Leader Cruz and Representative Berman, who was sitting right next to her. And I walked them through this policy, and I said, I just need you to agree to waive the rules and let the bill move to third. And I remember I, after we discussed it, and I went and told the speaker that they had agreed to it, I, I remember walking back to my office. And by the time I had gotten back to the office, um, 
my staff comes running out and says, they just passed your bill. And I said, what? He said, you know, they just passed your bill. I can't tell you what that means when you have worked so hard on something to see that, that um, effect um, and, and know that you're just doing it for the right reasons just to help kids have an experience with their dad somewhere along the line in their life. And to me, that, you know, why was that, has that stuck with me? Why is that the bill that I would say is my proudest? Because I've never worked harder on anything. To all members leaving office, Sunrise thanks you for your service. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again tomorrow as we do another daily dive into Florida politics.